Hello, and welcome to Joe's Boys. This is a podcast for little women, little men, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. I'm the author of the novel Both Sides Now. I'm also a writer for publications like Pitchfork, Billboard, and Vanity Fair. With me today is my very special guest, Hannah Spitnew. She is an interdisciplinary artist and writer who works in textile and ceramics. She is based here in Toronto. She attended OCAD, the Ontario College of Art and Design, and received her Bachelor of Design in Material Art and Design in 2019. Welcome to the show, Hannah. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm so good. I'm delighted to be here. I wish I had fresh limes on hand, but I don't. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I was regretting this as I was sitting down to like get ready to record. I was like, we really should have gotten some pickled limes lined up to do a taste test. Yes. Yeah. We need that immersive experience for this. I need to understand Amy's pain and grief and longing and yearning. And I can't do that if I don't know what a pickled lime tastes like. So we'll just have to use our imaginations. (laughs) We will. We'll just have to dream of it. I feel like to me, my modern version of the pickled lime is those big juicy like cola bottles you get at the corner store yeah and like the the girl who had the cola bottle she was everybody's best friend yeah so that's like my like I can imagine the cola bottle so to me a pickled lime tastes like that (laughs) yeah yeah the pickled lime is like the pokemon card or the hit clips or yes (laughs) the the coveted schoolyard thing that you must have if you want to be cool And I'm so glad you're here today to lend your expertise as we journey with Amy into the Valley of Humiliation. (laughs) Pertinent question then, which March sister are you? And again, for the purposes of this podcast, Lori is a March sister. My roommates would say sometimes when I'm being kind of sucky on the couch, I'm a Beth, but (laughs) I personally ride for and identify as an Amy because we're both kind of bratty people with snub noses (laughs) who just really want what they want. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's any shame in that do you have a favorite cinematic Amy oh that's an amazing question I love Kirsten Dunst I feel like she and I know she's having a renaissance right now which is which is amazing I feel like she is just such a she's so petulant and she's so perfect in the role and you really believe it and I I don't you know that the 1994 Little Women I don't even really remember adult Amy because she's kind of just there and then she's gone. But Kirsten really and her tiny little braids really stick in the stick in the mind. Yeah, I agree. I think kind of a major flaw of the 94 movie is that the adult Amy is sort of a she's such a non-entity. And it's also weird because she that actress later appeared with Christian Bale in American Psycho. So it's weird for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> oh my God. Was she one of the gals that he murders? Yes. <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> Which honestly, I, when when Christian Bale is like, listen, Amy, I've known since I was a kid that I was meant to be in the March family. I'm like, are you going to kill her and like wear her <laughs> clothes? And like, what's going on? Lori, it's just, it's so frightening to me that yeah. Christian Bale is Lori in that movie. You know, I agree. I think Kirsten Dunst is a perfect Amy. They should have just done the boyhood thing and just put filming on hold for like, a decade so that she could come back and be grown up baby. oh my god she would have been perfect uh, I really, think she could yeah. have honestly done like a one woman little women show I would like to time nor space won't allow that yeah yeah that would be I, I would really like to see that actually and of course Florence Pugh dear near and dear to all of our hearts 
Oh yeah, she's yes. she's in there for sure. I I love yeah. her. I think that she just gives such an impassioned speech. All she's always impassioned. She's all you believe her every single time, which is great. And I think she's a she's a great foil for Timothy Chalamet, who's kind of like I feel like if Christian Bale's like on the cover of Threatening Boys magazine, Timothy's on the non-threatening boys magazine, you know? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> but a- Amy's always threatening, <laughs> which I Yeah, that's good. That's a good dynamic. It's- <laughs> They balance out each other's energy well. So what is your relationship to Little Women? I mean, when did you discover it? What role has it played in your life? I was about seven, I think. My my aunt, Mary Lou, shouts to Mary Lou, brought me a bunch of books at like a family function because she knew I loved to read and would probably get bored of the cousins just talking about the 70s or whatever. So I, I picked, I picked it up and I kind of just never put it down. And I think I was, <laughs> I was primed at that age with, you know, Laura Ingalls Wilder and Anne Green Gables to just be obsessed with books that kind of emphasize minute detail and like the kind of tiny feelings that like make up someone's, someone's life, like anything from a slight on the playground to like wanting a ribbon so bad you can taste it. Like I, I understood that so much so I think it just hit me at the right time and I was so happy to I'm sure my mom was not as happy as I was but I was so happy to find out there was like seven movies and I think I made her watch them all even though the first three or four are like real boring and kind of hard to hear (laughs) well maybe I'm I'm just thinking of the 30s one because I watched it most recently okay okay I love that one. I will say I love the Catherine Hepburn one. It's just very, very dear to my heart. Big Catherine Hepburn fan in this house. Oh, fan yeah. of what she brings to Joe. Although, I mean, Amy is very much an adult who is pregnant in that whole movie. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. While I was watching it, I was thinking like about Euphoria and how everyone's talking about how everyone's old on Euphoria. And like, <laughs> like yeah, this is this is the same. <laughs> But I do love Catherine Hepburn. She is kind of a a perfect Joe. So I want to get back to your relationship with Little Women, but you have brought up an important question, which is how would the Little Women girls fare at Euphoria High? That is an amazing question. I feel like Joe, I think, is maybe like the Rue counterpart Mm -hmm. a little Mm -hmm. bit, which is to say not doing well. (laughs) but really is categorizing what everyone's doing writing it all down and making sure that she knows what's going on I think that Meg would just Meg's just gone Meg would not survive Euphoria High (laughs) I don't think she'd switch to another school she'd she'd move countries I don't know I can't see her doing well or she would date Nate actually oh no I could see that for her I don't know if Meg has the backbone not to do that she would just be like yeah okay I mean I've always wanted to be taken care of and riding a Range Rover so (laughs) she'd just do it Beth oh Beth Beth is such a mess and then Amy I think would do great maybe Lori would be a dark horse and like actually (laughs) do pretty well maybe Lori would be like the cat Interesting. Interesting choices. I think, yeah, I agree. Amy would be running Euphoria High. I don't think she would fall into the dating Nate Jacobs trap. She would be a cheerleader and like have that super cool makeup every day, but she'd be, you know, she'd be the cool girl. She'd be, she'd be like Kat, you know? Yeah. I hear you on Joe being the Rue counterpart. I think she's maybe Lexi when Joe is the one who like puts on the play throwing shade at everyone at school. Yes. Yeah. 100% Joe. Okay. 
glad we had that conversation. Important intertextual analysis here. <laughs> so yeah, your relationship to little women, how has it remained in your life as an adult? How has it like informed who you've become? My reading tastes definitely kind of just continued on that path. When I was reading the, the chapter that we chose, I was thinking about the title, like The Valley of Humiliation, and how much that reminded me of like the Louise Renison books Ooh, okay. and like the Georgia Nicholson, Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging <laughs> universe, GNCU, Georgia Nicholson Cinematic <laughs> Universe. And just thinking about my like deep, deep devotion to like these characters that are so obsessed with self-documentation in a way and like self-mythologizing and making everything kind of grander and more dramatic than it is and if there's a chance to make it funny and kind of a bit of an adventure even if it's if it's nothing you should do that I think it ended up being kind of a way of life also I'm a, a freak for the ribbon store so I'm sure that really doesn't we have a ribbon store in Toronto that's like top of the line and you're gonna have to tell me where to find that I will for sure I mean I can't I can't (laughs) keep the ribbon store it's Mokuba on Queen Street and it's it's got everything Um, love that love that yeah so are you do you identify as a bow girl oh you know what I have I've tried to be a bow girl I (laughs) I think when I was like 14 I had like one of those Lady Gaga hair bows yes that you could buy at like H&M but that was kind of my last venture into the bow world Okay. I support and endorse all bow girls. And I think you should go for it if you feel like it. With that in mind, with the adventurous spirit and the value of humiliation and the GNCU all all swirling around in there, do you want to tell us what happens in chapter seven, Amy's Valley of Humiliation? Oh, absolutely. Amy is plucky. She's, she's young. This is, this is quite early. So I think she's about like 12 here, 11 Mm -hmm. or 12. We start off the chapter trying to cajole some money from Meg in order to buy some pickled limes. The marches are famously kind of formerly a little bit well off, maybe a little less well off now, but Amy has never kind of lost that need to be a, honestly, my brain's run by TikTok, so it's material girl is just like (laughs) front of mind. she uses the line for credit she uses it for drawings and you know little treats and social currency and she she has gotten up to 24 lines at a time which I wrote down I was like wow she's really she's on it (laughs) and she is also a little bit mean about her lines if people do her wrong she's not happy about it she's very prideful she wrongs one of the snow girls and so the snow girl tattles to Mr. Davis, who seems like he sucks. And from like a, you know, tween, tween perspective and also from an adult perspective. Uh, I love that there's like a little bit that's like, Mr. Davis had like taken his coffee too strong. <laughs> like, yeah, Mr. Davis is like on the wrong side of the bed. Amy brings up all her lines to the, to the front of the desk and she's publicly shamed and he hits her with a ruler and she's just absolutely devastated because Amy is governed by love alone, which I thought was a really lovely phrasing. She'd never kind of experienced this humiliation before and it's like a full body, like red top to toe, so upset. You know, she brings her little hand home and she's sobbing and Beth is throwing kittens at her and Joe's gonna kill Mr. Davis. <laughs> her mom, her, her marmy, it feels wrong to call her mom. She's marmy. 
Marmy doesn't approve of corporal punishment. She doesn't approve of the way he teaches. So Beth and Joe are going to teach Amy from now on, which is nice. I was like, great, this is gorgeous. But it's still it's still the 1800s. And so her mom gives her a little morality lesson about like, you're, you're very, you're very conceited. You, you value your like fripperies a little too much. You're not that nice. Then it's, it's okay. You know, they all, they, they have this lovely family moment and Lori's out here complimenting Beth, making Beth want to die. Joe kind of jibes Amy for like how it's not proper to wear all of your bonnets and all of your gowns at once, <laughs> which I was like, hmm, is it not proper? I don't know. I don't think it's the intro to Amy exactly, but it's like it's a real good foundation for like her character and who she is. She really just comes from this like loving, wonderful household and she does not take slights lightly. And she understands how the world works from a very young age and how she wants to participate in it, which I like. Yeah, this is definitely Amy's first starring role. It's just one morning in one schoolgirl's life. And it's just dramatized and treated with so much seriousness and empathy and care. There's a passage here, you quoted from this, but the surrounding context I think is really beautiful too, which is when Amy is standing up at the front of the classroom, standing on the platform till recess, which is her punishment to just stand up there publicly. During the 15 minutes that followed, the proud and sensitive little girl suffered a shame and pain which she never forgot. To others, it might seem a ludicrous or trivial affair, but to her, it was a hard experience. For during the 12 years of her life, she had been governed by love alone. And a blow of that sort had never touched her before. The smart of her hand and the ache of her heart were forgotten in the sting of the thought, I shall have to tell it home and they will be so disappointed in me. It's just, it's taking the interior life of this 12 year old girl really, really seriously. And, and in the narration saying like, no, this isn't frivolous. This isn't nothing. Like this is a really humiliating thing. And like, obviously if you're a child reading this, then it's meant to speak directly to you and tell you that your day-to-day -day struggles are real and and worth care and consideration and if you're an adult it, it you know it might help you remember that time and, and kind of bring you back to your to yourself so it's a really beautiful chapter and funny as hell too we should not rule that out like the pickled limes thing is like a hilarious moment in like every adaptation of little women that's ever been made it's a real balancing act here we get some interesting gender stuff with Joe and Lori in the background. We get some nice family life. We get this understanding that Joe and Lori's friendship is evolving, that Lori is becoming part of the March sisters family. So there's just so much. There's so much going on here. Why don't we go through it from the very beginning? Yeah. <laughs> oh my okay. God, let's do it. So the first thing that happens is Lori clatters by on horseback with a flourish of his whip. Not sure you should be whipping your horse, Lori, but no, that's beside <laughs> the point. And... Amy says, that boy is a perfect cyclops. <laughs> Joe's like, what are you talking about? He's got both his eyes and very handsome ones they are too, cried Joe, who resented any slighting remarks about her friend. And Amy says, I didn't say anything about his eyes, and I don't see why you need to need fire up when I admire his riding. At which point Joe realizes that Amy meant uh, centaur, not cyclops. <laughs> that just like got me. Like I, I, I was, I was cackling. Yeah. Amy loves the malaprops. And this is this is funny too. Amy is 12 and like learning how to use vocabulary and sometimes getting the words wrong. And sometimes in like the narration, like the third person narration of this chapter, it will lapse into kind of Amy speak. We learn that Jenny Snow is a satirical young lady, 
which is <laughs> not the word. And then, I mean, after the Cyclops sent him, she tries to speak Latin and doesn't quite get there. Yeah, yeah. She never stops best. trying, though. <laughs> no, she never stops trying. Kirsten Dunst got this energy really well. Probably the actress who plays Amy in any adaptation has the hardest part because this is someone who really goes from like a little kid to an actual adult married woman <laughs> in the span of one project, right? And it's hard to keep the energy consistent all the way through because like who is the same person they were at 12? Am I right? Oh my God, no. And then like, no. thank God. What do you think is here in Amy at 12 that is with her all the way through? What's the through line? I feel like the through line is that she's so sure of her convictions that I feel like she could explain to you why he was a cyclops and not a centaur. Yes. <laughs> Amy, I think if she lived now, would understand when someone says something vibes. Yes. She'd be yes. like, Lori has cyclops vibes. And you'd be like, oh yeah, because he only has one focus on just... <laughs> And you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Yeah, And I absolutely. think that's so consistent for her where she's just like, well, I said it, so it's true. Amy is the person who says, I think that's chuggy. And, and yes. she doesn't have to define it. You know what she means. <laughs> no, for sure. And you'd be sitting there like, oh mm-hmm. my God, like, yeah. oh my God, she's right. <laughs> she's, she's correct. Yeah, I think, and I think there's also the balance with Amy, like she is such an individual and she's so proud And at the same Mm. time, she wants everyone to like her so much. Yeah. (laughs) And that's a really hard tension. Do we want to get into like the schoolyard dynamics? One thing that Lou Alcott said when she was asked to write Little Women, she was asked to write a children's book for girls. And she said, I don't like girls and never knew many besides my sisters. So this classroom is one of the only environments where it's a world of women that isn't the March home. And there are girls on the scene who are not the March sisters. So What do we think of the classmates of Amy? How do we feel? All of her sisters, all of Amy's Mm -hmm. sisters really get a full examination. She understands their follies and their wrongdoings and she Mm -hmm. loves them anyways, but she also kind of hates them. There's nuance (laughs) there. Yes. And then when it comes to her schoolmates, it's kind of like Miss Snow sucks. (laughs) And that's all there is to it. Like, it's like, a little bit like transactional you know they're there for limes Mm -hmm. these people Mm -hmm. have their place in society it's like she's kind of created her own mini version of society that she's like a little puppet master for Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we understand like amy's place in this society is very precarious it's this sort of mini adult society and amy is really enjoying having power within it for once Miss snow is the satirical young lady who had basically twitted amy upon her limeless state But Amy had not forgotten Miss Snow's cutting remarks about some persons whose noses were not too flat to smell other people's limes and stuck up people who were not too proud to ask them, which going right for Amy's nose, you know, that's Amy's biggest insecurity. Oh my God. Yeah. We've all seen Kirsten Dunst. Oh my God. The clothespin on her nose. So Amy has not forgotten this slate about her nose and sends Jenny Snow a note saying, you needn't be so polite all of a sudden for you won't get any limes. It's just... (laughs) Are, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes, you are. Yeah. I like, I know she's 12, but that is so cunty. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's just like, you're not getting any. I remember yeah. I buried the hatchet and I remember where I buried it. Yes. <laughs> she rankled the soul of Miss Snow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> An important thing to understand about Lou Alcott 
part of the mission of this show is to look at queer and trans threads in Little Women and the possibilities of Louisa May Alcott or Lou, as she preferred to be called, her potential queerness or transness. And I think in addition to just Lou always feeling like she should have been born a boy and relating to boys more and wanting to be in kind of male social spaces, there's a real distrust of girls that like, I think rears its head here and then later on in the Meg chapter, which I don't want to get into the Meg chapter because that's a whole other (laughs) can of worms. But (laughs) I mean, it's this understanding of a classroom full of girls as a den of vipers almost. Anyone could rise up and seek vengeance. And Amy is part of that, right? Like Amy is giving as as good as she is getting for some of this. How do you feel about that? What What do you think about the behavior of the girls here? The line that really sticks for me from this part of the chapter was about how boys are trying enough to human patience, but (laughs) girls are like infinitely more so, like especially to teachers or to authority figures and stuff. (laughs) I don't think Lou is trying to be like, and girls are like naturally rebellious, (laughs) kind of thing. It's kind of like, just like a nightmare. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I do think, I do think it's very interesting to see (laughs) how Lou depicts girls outside of her family the thing is about these classroom slights is like this is going to happen and then the very next day like amy's on the bottom and miss snow's got all the lines yes for sure for sure because there's lime credit like there's a whole like banking system that they have yeah (laughs) there's a banking system and like i i do feel like from my memories of elementary school like there's an emotional banking Mm -hmm. system too yes (laughs) i remember one of the big things in when i was in grade two I remember grade two who doesn't I survivor had just gone on the air so kids would play survivor at recess you can imagine the hurt feelings the drama psychopolitics of a bunch (laughs) of seven-year-olds playing survivor on the playground I believe that was banned and I believe that Pokemon cards were also banned for similar reasons because it just gets too heated Oh, for sure. I remember in in grade four, and this is like, this is my fault. This is my own doing. I taught my friends how to curse people. So we would draw a big like circle in the sand and like (laughs) hold hands and like chant like jinx, 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 jinx. When like someone, (laughs) like my friend had a crush on this boy, like eternally for like all three years. And we would always be jinxing him because he didn't like her back. But then if one of us was mad at the other, then they would like steal their hat and like put it in the middle and then curse them in front of them. But I remember getting cursed (laughs) with my like little like stupid 2005 hat with the flower on it. Like watching myself be cursed and being like, I'm the architect of this. So the element of like playful cruelty is there. It does exist. But (laughs) I have never heard of a child doing witchcraft on the schoolyard. I want to have been your friend back then that's <laughs> mad cool <laughs> yeah I you know I, I was sort of framing it as like a negative before like why does Lou like portray these girls as so cat but like honestly I think it's more taking the social dynamics and like the pettiness and then kind of the even the cruelties of young girls and children seriously much earlier on in the book we hear about Lori getting bullied at school by boys who call him Dora right And that's why he had to go with Lori because Theodore was no longer tenable, right? It's not like girls are exclusively bad. Like she just understands that like kids can be really cruel and girls are not exempt from that. You know a lot about kind of 1800s literature. There was a real emphasis on piety and like moral instruction in children's literature. And Mm -hmm. this is, it seems to be giving a lot more dimension to like kids' social dynamics than any of those books were. 
like <laughs> yeah absolutely because I feel like I think Little Women is such a good example of like testing <laughs> out different identities and testing mm-hmm. out different places in society and where you want to be and who you want to be and mm-hmm. like kind of playing with that like you can see it through like a queer lens or mm-hmm. trans lens and I do feel like that is kind of shown here where they're like creating like a little facsimile of like mid 1800 Civil War era society yes. including the negative ways and I, I do think it's also interesting how she never has them play house like no there's never that no it's pirates it's high society it's murder it's drama it's excitement the castle in the sky isn't except for meg isn't like a a housewife vibe no no i mean that mirrors the kind of upbringing of the actual alcott girls themselves bronson alcott who was their father had kind of written books on like child rearing and like how to raise the best most morally correct child and a visitor came around the house one day to kind of meet with bronson and like learn more about how to like raise the perfect children and as he was walking up the sidewalk to the alcott's home the three of the kids came barreling around the corner lou on all fours barking like a dog and her older sister riding her <laughs> <laughs> and then I think like another one like riding behind in like a wagon that Lou was pulling with her teeth <laughs> it's like yes <laughs> the perfect well-behaved children like it's <laughs> there's a real love of like kids being rowdy you called attention to this before but like there's some sympathy for like the teacher who is much enduring and banished gum after a long and stormy war and had forbidden distortions of the face, nickname, and caricatures. Half a hundred rebellious girls, all in order. Boys are trying enough to human patience. Goodness knows, but girls are infinitely more so. And he's a nervous gentleman. He has neuralgia. It's like, there's an east wind. He's banned lime. And why can't these girls just not bring limes? I love the whole world of this. It's like an understanding that like kids are not well-behaved little angels. No. And And they never have been. (laughs) They never, they never have. This is not the idyllic 1800s that you might've been picturing. I smuggled in 20, sorry, Meg gives her a quarter so she can buy 25 pickled limes at a penny each. But when she arrives at school, she has 24 delicious lines. She ate one on the way. <laughs> Good for her. Um, I just like had this vision of her in my mind's eye, just eating the lime top to bottom, like no cutting, whatever, just like, just popping it. No and idea. it made me laugh. I got the Greta Gerwig movie tie-in book, which has a recipe for pickled limes. <gasps> but I, I am too nervous to try it because essentially it's like, okay, you, you take the limes and then like kind of cut them mm-hmm. at the ends, right? And then just like put them in a jar with a bunch of salt and let it sit for a month. And I'm like, that does not sound good. I'm sorry. I'm no. Not... <laughs> that sounds like a good but way. Maybe. Uh... <laughs> That's the thing. I you know, know, my my culinary palate might just be too limited. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. We also, we get some interesting class stuff here because the teacher tells Amy to throw her limes out the window. Like it's not, it's mm-hmm. not even like, I'm going to take the limes and give them back to you at the end of the day. It's like, throw them out the window, your hard earned 24 limes. And she throws them out the window and a shout from the street completes the anguish of the schoolgirls, for it tells them that their feast is being exalted over by the little Irish children who were their sworn foes. So there's some fun, like <laughs> classism there, some fun, like old school anti-Irish <laughs> I didn't even like catch that. I was like, oh yeah, 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 for sure. It's, and, and everybody gets the limes. But yeah, no, poor interesting little, to see that creep through. These poor little Irish immigrant children are, are having a ball. Yeah. yeah 24 lives just pelted. I hope they're okay. I hope no one got an eye put out <laughs> or anything. 
there's this really interesting stuff with class happening in this book because like we know that the marches are poor that they have limited money but they have enough money to buy pickled limes they have a servant which the alcott's never had a house servant right their their servant is another irish woman they're sort of a rung above the hummels who are a german family but they're a rung below the lawrences right so they are they're this very precarious sort of position here, which is interesting. Obviously, it's semi-autobiographical, but the marches are some degrees wealthier and more comfortable than the Alcott's ever were, which feels like maybe a bit of wish fulfillment, maybe a bit of trying for maximum relatability, maybe because like poverty might be just too narratively limiting. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you make of Amy's class position here? Like relative to the girls in her class or relative to the little Irish children are enjoying the limes. Enjoying being bruised by. (laughs) I feel like to me when I like watch and I know obviously I'm like inflation is different. Money is different now. All this stuff. I feel like the marches are middle class in a way Mm -hmm. that not to get into like the disappearing middle class. But I feel like they are what we think of middle class now, I guess. Yeah. Also, I feel like because they're they're all so well read, I feel like they would have I don't know if Oliver Twist is out at this point, but there's definitely like a lot of like little match girl style stories mm. and then yeah. traditional like fairy tales and they're definitely reading them all and taking them mm-hmm. in, maybe identifying a little more with the like more cinematic nature of growing up poor. I feel like yeah, it's yeah. a little self-positioned. Yeah, it's because they're do it, they're doing mm-hmm. fine ostensibly yeah. they're fine <laughs> yeah I think it allows Lou to sort of have the best of both worlds and that like she they can be deprived and simultaneously not suffering too much right yeah like, there's never any serious threat of homelessness or which was a real problem for the Alcott's right was was not having enough to eat not not having a place to live mm-hmm. so this allows her to kind of dig into some of those emotions without some of the more serious limitations that would come along with that it allows her to sort of position the marches in a place where they can give charity to others, which is yes. important. Yeah, I feel like yeah. they're TV or like movie working class, which is like yes. real life <laughs> rich. Like for okay. what's coming to mind for me is like the house mm-hmm. in like 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay, yeah. For like Kat and Bianca's house where they're like, they're on like the wrong side of the tracks or whatever and they have like a hot tub or like in a rom-com when like someone's like struggling to make ends meet but they have a single loft apartment in New York City. Oh yeah yeah like Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah (laughs) Carrie Bradshaw's you know $700 rent and $40,000 shoe budget is the marches. The button on this chapter is don't be a material girl don't care too much about material things don't depend on pickled limes to get girls to like you. Marmy, to her credit, withdraws Amy from the school in, in kind of a statement against corporal punishment, which was a big kind of Bronson Alcott position was like, you don't hit kids, you don't physically abuse kids. But then Marmy says, you don't need to parade your little gifts and virtues for conceit spoils the finest genius. And the great charm of all power is modesty. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't like Amy being told to dim her shine. The book is so modern in a lot of ways. Like you're reading it and they have all these stances where you're like, wow, yeah, no, like that's that's modern, progressive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it, you, get, you get caught and you're like, oh yeah, no, no, it's still 1868. Yeah. Like don't get yeah. it twisted. I do feel like it's interesting that pickled limes aren't always going to be, it's so much more than pickled limes. And also like for women at that time, that is all you had. You found your currency and you played with it. 
Yes, exactly. And that's your looks or that's your marriageability. That's your Mm -hmm. child rearing, whatever, but you, you have to know how to work with it because there's always going to be something. One of the special things about little women is the understanding that a woman's something can be more than just looks or marriageability. It can be talent. It can be generosity. It can be so much more. It's frustrating to see Marmy chiding Amy to be more modest. I don't, I don't think that Amy ever learns that lesson, to be honest. No, <laughs> I for sure. Think, I think Florence Pugh, especially walking around Paris looking like a cupcake. Modesty? <laughs> never heard of her. Which is great. That kind of lesson about modesty sets us up for this really sweet moment that I want to highlight where Lori has been playing chess in a corner with Joe. And Lori says, I knew a girl once who had a really remarkable talent for music and she didn't know it, never guessed what sweet little things she composed when she was alone and wouldn't have believed it if anyone had told her. And then Beth says, I wish I'd known that nice girl. Maybe she would have helped me. I'm so stupid. Oh. <laughs> and then Lori is like very sweetly like, I was talking about you and Beth turns very red and hides her face in the sofa cushion. And then Joe lets Lori win the game because Joe is touched by that. One of the things I'm really interested in is Lori's femininity and kind of the ways that Lori expresses that. And one of the things we already know about Lori at this point is that Lori's mother was an Italian musician and Lori's grandfather did not approve of his son marrying this Italian musician lady. And he does not want Lori to pursue music to be like his Italian mother. Grandpa Lawrence is obviously he's he really celebrates best musical gifts, but just doesn't want Lori to pursue it. And so I'm kind of touched. I see some subtext here as I knew a girl who had a really remarkable talent for music and didn't know it and never guessed what sweet little thing she composed when she was alone, which kind of tracks with what we know about Lori being lonely and liking music and being discouraged from pursuing it. There's some subtext there that I'm seeing. Lori and relating to Beth on that level, which, sure, which I, I think yeah. is cute. And then, of course, all of this is teeing up after Lori heads out. Marmy's like, yeah, Lori is a nice boy. And if he isn't spoiled by petting, and if he isn't conceited, then he'll do quite well. And Amy is supposed to learn from Lori. That is so interesting, though, thinking about, like, because Lori is always very, like, sweet to Beth. <laughs> Although he loves Joe and they get along <laughs> so well, maybe yeah. Lori is actually more of a Beth. Oh, no, I I absolutely think that's true. I think that's probably part of why Joe likes him so much, because Mm -hmm. we know that Beth is Joe's favorite sibling, right? And they have a special bond that even Amy and Meg don't have with Beth. And then Lori has these Beth-like qualities of kind of being like quieter and lonelier and more isolated and really loving music and maybe being clumsier about expressing it. And they have that commonality and I think it sort of draws them all together, which is very sweet. Little Women, it makes space for Joe to be gender non-conforming and boyish, but it also makes room for Lori to like really enter this world of woman and kind of explore gender and have a different experience than he was having in his all-male, cold, lonely home, which is a rare thing in literature. We don't get that a lot. A boy wanting to be with the girls, be with the sisters and bond with them in that way. Yeah, he never has a point where he's like, oh, I'm not going to go the extra mile. Like, we're all dressing up as men, yeah. pretending to be men. I'm pretending to. Yes. We're all playing together. Yeah. The, the roles in the March household are so ambiguous as well. Like, everybody fulfills their own purpose. They're mm-hmm. all very mm-hmm. self-governing. Obviously, like, a lot of queer women relate to Joe, as well as trans men. Like, I'm a trans guy, and, like, Joe's Boys is the podcast, right? I I do see Lori as sort of a trans-feminine figure, as well as I see uh, Joe as trans-masculine. But, like, we don't get to see Joe form relationships with too many girls or women outside of her immediate family. I think that's Mm. a real bummer. I think there's a lot that could be, like, explored there. 
there's a really cute middle grade adaptation of Little Women called Joe. That one says, okay, Joe's a middle schooler and Fred Friedrich Bayer is just like another girl in her class called Freddie and they work on the school paper together. And it's this cute middle grade oh. women loving women romance. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's nice. It's nice. You know, That's it's sweet. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to see that kind of stuff being explored. It's one of the sadnesses of this that Joe doesn't get to experience the fullness of her identity. And it's, it's one of the sadnesses of Lou's life as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's sort of an understanding, like you were saying, of the family roles. Joe is kind of referred to as being like a brother or playing brother. When the dad goes off to the Civil War, he says, Joe is the man of the house now. So mm-hmm. Joe does occupy those roles I think like Joe Joe does kind of live as a boy to the extent that she can which is nice to see yes and like yeah makes a comment about not wearing bonnets and gowns and ribbons to Amy just to hammer that home yes my distaste for anything feminine yeah Yeah, totally totally I I was also thinking I do love Joe Joe is my second second favorite yes honestly I kind of only have two (laughs) Beth and Meg are like way down there but (laughs) rereading the book and rereading the um the Greta Gerwig screenplay there's uh, a bit where she talks about trying to explain herself to herself yeah and I I thought that was so lovely like and I think Mm -hmm. all the characters are always kind of trying to do that like they're kind of trying to like touch on these things that they like feel but they don't know I also had written down a lot of people here need to read the lesbian master doc. I feel like Teddy <laughs> and Joe would both really benefit from that um, yeah. in different ways. Just just in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, they're always trying to like explain themselves to themselves. And they're also really trying to like discern what is wanting to be loved versus loving. Like yes. what, what's yeah. the same? I feel like maybe Joe struggles a bit to receive love. Like she's, we know that she's like, she really loves to nurse and she really loves to kind of be a friend and be kind of a parental figure, but it, it's that kind of receiving affection where she gets a little pricklier and doesn't want to. Yes. Show it off so yeah. Much. I mean, it's all so hard and it's so much harder when it's 1860 and you don't have the vocabulary for any of this, right? No, not at it's, all. Lou is on record at that time saying, I feel as though I am by some freak of nature a man's soul in a woman's body in like 1860, right? And also mm-hmm. saying, I've been in love with ever so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with any man. So it's like, there's an understanding that this is theoretically possible, but like to even like put that into practice is like unimaginable, right? It's this wall that they're always bumping, all these characters are bumping up against in Little Women. It's kind of the subtext of straining to get out between this like moral instruction. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. every time you're like thinking about they're such expansive people and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they're going to make it, like maybe it's going to happen. You're like, no, but there is the structure. It's so rigid. <laughs> no. It's so hard. And no matter what, we're going to like come back to this, just a dichotomy that can't be like broken. It's sad. And I think this chapter is one that kind of allows the characters to find a peace in it. And it's in the private space of their home where they can kind of be who they are, which Lou really returns to like school is a hostile space. The workplace is a hostile space, but home and the people who love you are, are always there. So I feel like Lou would be really into like chosen family. And like yeah. family, I feel like yeah. Oh, be, absolutely, 100%. This is unrelated, kind of. Okay. Um, but in deep quarantine, early quarantine, yeah. I made a sim of me and a sim of Timothy Chalamet. Little yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I made us a beautiful house, and then he killed me. 
I turned yeah. them on like, you know, independent things. I was like, yeah, and I will yeah. control you, whatever. And he started an oven fire and he just <gasps> like watched her burn and then <gasps> sent her off to the Grim Reaper. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Is this what- I'm so sorry yeah. that Sim Simothy Chalamet did that to you. Simothy <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I too have played the Sims. Like I, I'll go into the gallery, right? And people will make like incredibly lifelike sims of actors and actresses. So like I, I've downloaded Sersha and Timothy and I've done my like <gasps> Joe and Laurie, you know, thing with them. But yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I'll have to track that down. Yes. Yeah. Hot, hot tips for Sims 4 players. Tune in next week when we give you the little women challenge <laughs> for the Sims 4. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? That would be so fun. That would be fun. Um, Maybe I will do that for real. Okay. Hannah, where can people find you online, on social media? Oh, sure. Yeah. My website and my Instagram are the same. It's Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, Palindrome, mm-hmm. uh, Zbitnu, which is Z-B-I-T-N-E-W. That's on Instagram and also my website where you can see my art, which has nothing to do with this, but doesn't have everything to do with Little Women, maybe. So... <laughs> and you, you have a really cool store, right? Like there's a lot of cool stuff for sale on your website. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a weaver. Yeah, I have a lot of stuff. Get online, buy Hannah's clothes. You you too can look this fly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Hannah. It's been really wonderful. Oh, All thank right. you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and I'm Peyton. You can find me online at peytonthomas.ca. And until next week, keep little women in. All right.